0: How much difference can one player really make? We might, we might be forced to find out this summer. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins in the same place that you found this. The Pirates had the day off yesterday, but they're back in action and doubly so This afternoon, with split squad games against the Orioles in Bradenton and against the Twins down in Fort Myers, Rich Hill will be pitching the former, Vince Velasquez the latter. And I know nobody cares how anybody pitches. Right now, everybody just wants to see hits. The offense has been abysmal to date. And setting aside that the outcomes of the games mean absolutely nothing, although the Pirates have lost a ton already, You want to see the bats get going. You want to see that confidence uh, individually, but then eventually collectively build up before you get to Cincinnati, before you get to Boston. Well, the one thing that maybe should mitigate any of this is that the single most important player on the roster when it comes to improving, and I say this with respect to where he was before, is O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz finished his rookie season with a 233 average and a 741 OPS. 17 homers, 54 RBIs. E- essentially playing two thirds of the season with 331 official at bats. So far in the spring, insert all the obligatory lines about all the different things in spring don't matter. Okay. He's batting 304 with a 942. OPS, which means he's hitting for production. He's hitting with some pop. He's got six hits in his last three games. One of them is a home run. Another one's a double. He's got two homers on the spring. And here's a number you're not going to believe. He struck out three times. That's it. In 23 official at-bats. Do you remember going back to the middle of last summer in particular, a series in Denver. I was out there covering it at Coors Field, and that was the one where he'd been in a pretty long funk. But he never looked worse. He was—I don't even know—flailing does it justice. What he was trying to do to the baseball, and the Rockies were just, just spoon feeding him this off-speed crap that would land a million miles away from him outside the box. And he would just go through with this one-handed non-swing. And you're going, what's wrong with this guy? Like, no, no, no. Like, what's actually wrong with him? Not with his swing, but he's looking like he's not even trying. And of course, if you know anything at all about him, he is just not wired that way. He'll have his occasional brain cramps and whatever, but this isn't somebody who's... Uh, uncaring about his profession, gradually, and this is one thing I will give Andy Haynes credit for, and that's not a long list, at least not to date, O'Neill found a way to stay in his box. He found a way to stay inside his own zone, within the strike zone. Now, for him, that's way bigger than it is for most batters. We've seen him golf balls out of stadiums. We've seen him go the other way with a pitch that was two inches off the ground. But that's not a consistent way to hit, or for that matter, to hit for power. So at some point, probably... As best as I can recall, in the third or fourth week of August, we started to see him gasp, take walks. We started to see him wait for that pitch and to lay off the trash. And if he was going to get on base one way or another, he was going to force pitchers to come in where he wanted them to go. And then from there in September, you saw it. Boom, boom, boom. Everything. Was leaping off his bat the way it's supposed to leap off his bat because that's what baseballs have been doing all his life. I've spent some time with O'Neill in a couple of trips that I've made to Bradenton this spring. And the sense that I get and here's some non news for you is that he's already very confident. He was going to be confident with or without having nice numbers at Lee Com Park and around other spring facilities. But the fact that he's going out there again and getting it done the same way that he did late last season, that means a lot to this ball club. How much? I don't know, because he's still batting leadoff. And it looks like Derek Shelton's going to leave him at leadoff. In the moment, you can't worry too much about the team impact of that. Especially when you consider that Austin Hedges, the catcher, is going to bat ninth and he's going to get on base maybe once a week. So you're really going to be reducing your RBI possibilities for Cruz? But if that's where the kid is comfortable, and remember, leadoff was part of that whole late season revival as well. You just got to go with it. I don't know how many games he can win the Pirates. I don't know what his worth is. I I do know that he's not going to be able to overcome the entire rest of the lineup being lousy. So it'd be nice if somebody else got on the train. Meaning other than him and Brian Reynolds, of course. But so far, even amid all this nothingness from the offense this has been encouraging and this matters more than anything or anyone else on the roster when we come back j1q this portion of daily shot of pirates is brought to you by our friends at north shore tavern that's directly across federal street from pnc park it's home of steak on a stone an eating experience underscoring the word experience J1Q comes from Mike, who says, DK, I've been thinking about the limiting of pitchers' pickoff throws. Do you think that this might increase the number of times that catchers attempt pickoff throws? Since I don't believe those count toward the limit of two. And as it relates to the Pirates, could this be a place where Henry Davis's plus plus arm strength could be an advantage to the team? First off, Mike, to let everybody know, it sounds like you do already. That pitchers are limited to two pickoff throws, except that they're not. They can throw as many as they want, but every one that they throw over after two has to get the runner out, or else the runner just is awarded the next base. The reason that's, of course, put in is, let's just say some dummy just gets trapped way off the base. Why would you tie the pitcher's hands from getting an easy out. So I don't think you're going to see pitchers trying 3rd pickoffs unless they've got a very, very, very sure situation over at first. It's not going to be a close call. Where the catchers are concerned, that's already been witnessed in spring training. You're seeing catchers throw behind the runner at first a lot more and no, there isn't a limit on that. There's a greater risk in it. Catchers had better be really, really good at that. Or, you know, ball ends up in the right field corner. And that runner's not just going to get to second. He's going to get to third. So I don't think you'll see it in some crazy way. I mean, if this was... Look, if if it was still Yachty Molina in St. Louis... And Tony LaRusso was the manager. I can promise you, you'd see the Cardinals do it a hundred times a game just out of spite. Okay. But that's not the case anymore. And I I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of catchers doing it. Certainly not right off the bat. Okay. But this is one of those areas. And I've been talking about this a lot as it relates to the pitch clock, the bigger bases, the the stealing of bases, the talent that goes into that is that you're going to see these rules slowly reshape rosters because evaluators from field level on up to GMs are going to be watching the impact that a certain player or certain player's skill set has within the new rules. It's why I keep talking about ji JiHuan Bay. He has not had the kind of spring that I'd hope to see at the plate. But he doesn't need to be great at the plate to have a big impact on an offense. He needs to find a way to get from home to first. And if he doesn't make this team uh, on opening day, and I really don't think that he will now, here's hoping that materializes for him in Indianapolis. Because that's the kind of variable, that's the kind of wild card that you want to throw into the mix. From a catching standpoint, though, to your actual question, I always get a little cringy when we talk about catcher's defense, and the first thing that comes up—I'm not talking about you, I just mean in general conversation with anybody—is preventing stolen bases. Because for a 100 years and change, that was pretty much the only thing anyone had to say about a catcher's defense. How many guys stole on him— How many guys did he throw out? Well, over the last 10 years, probably more than any other 10 years in the history of the game, we've really begun to appreciate the overall impact that catcher's defense, true catcher's defense behind the plate has, whether it's pitch framing, whether it's preventing wild pitches, uh, whether it's just pitch calling. And when you compare that to the number of times you're either going to throw down to second For a caught stealing or an attempted caught stealing, or what we're talking about now, throwing the ball down to first behind a guy, it's just infinitesimally small. So do I think that Henry's arm, his plus plus arm, is going to be a benefit to him throughout his career, whether he's behind the plate or somewhere else? Sure it is. Everyone wants to have that in baseball. Everyone would want to have a Henry Davis arm. But I don't think it'll come close to being any kind of make or break factor for him. I appreciate the question. It's a good one. I appreciate everyone who listens to Daily Shot of Pirates. And we'll do another one of these tomorrow.